This is part one of a three-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right, so we're going to go ahead and start recording. Uh, Mark's not here yet, but Kyle is here. Hello. And, um, maybe Mark will show up here in a moment. Maybe he won't. And in the meantime, we're going to move forward with searching for land. I want to squeeze in a couple of quick things. Um, I w- so I have not prepped you for this question. I'm going to ask you a question. And I want to, okay. I, I, and so that is, when I talk about residual income streams, whether it's it's in my book or in my podcast or wherever, does it do when you hear that talk? Does that sound like something scammy or pyramid scheme or get rich quick? Um, no. Uh, it, it sounds to me the opposite of get, get rich quick. Um, you put in a bunch of work up front and slowly get money over time. Yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of, I mean, to me, it's really simple and obvious and, and it's, and it's even kind of stupid simple. And yeah, I travel a path and then it's like, uh, either money just starts to show up mysteriously, or I travel a path, and then later I get this idea of like, oh, I could stick this thing on it and earn like a dollar a month, and it's like, okay, and uh, and and stuff like that. Now, granted, my efforts have gotten more significant, but that's because I it, I did so well before, but. I don't know. I, I find that outside of Permies, if I try to talk about it, it seems to fall into this category of snake oil stuff. And and I feel like it's the only people who want to talk about it are basically sleazebags and mm. how to how to be sleazy and and it's like you know okay, but how do I do that? How do I like get a million dollars overnight with that. That's like that's not what it is at all. Right. And uh um and then if I try to to share my stuff about it um and how it's I I cuz I feel like it's extremely wholesome and um but, but when I try to share it, it's like it's like I'm the scammer, and I and it's like what? That's that's weird because you're not asking for any money from them or or anything like that. Yeah, I, I might uh, be kind of different than your average Joe just because um, I'm a musician and and most of my friends are artists in some way, so. I know about residual income streams. They they kind of just they kind of started happening a couple of years ago, 
um, with with me just having this hobby that I like and putting out music, and then suddenly I'm getting uh, I don't know twenty bucks every couple months. I mean, I'm, I'm no one cares about my music. It's like I'm very very small potatoes, but it's something that I would have done for free, but, but suddenly it's out there and I get yeah a check for twenty bucks every couple months. And the more I do, the more I get. Yeah, I I I mean a perfect example of of residual income stream. You put it out there and then some people buy it. I mean the other thing is is the whole concept of putting it out there for, for free and I, I kind of feel like yeah, I've put out tons of stuff for free, and then there's a couple of things where I put a price tag on it, and it's like, and then people are like, it should be for free. Well, that's getting into a whole other area, but yeah, but yes, um, music is is an excellent example of a residual income stream. You do this thing, which you think is cool, and then you take this extra time to record it. Yeah, and, and that costs a little money up front too. It costs. Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna make Money on if you want to make money on the back end, you have to spend. You have to actually spend a little money on the recording because no one's even going to, no one's going to pay for or really like spend a lot of time on the streaming services with, with uh, low quality recordings. Yeah, uh, which are super abundant. Um, everybody with a you know with an Apple and a hundred dollar interface can record. Uh, and record music these days, and that's good for getting a demo out, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, so I, I've spent a little money on that, and I, I probably haven't. Oh, yeah, I probably have. I, I think I've made back what I've spent on it at least. So, all right, uh, good. I'm I'm glad to hear it, um, but maybe I'm talking to the wrong guy too. I I just yeah. I just kind of feel like when I try to talk about things, like here we are, we're talking about finding property or, you know, finding your homestead dream, connecting with your homestead dream. And um, I, I just kind of feel like uh, it ends up with a lot of this negative Nellyism where a lot of people are kind of like, it'll never work. It's well, I mean- not possible. People today can't afford that. It's millions of dollars. And then they want to start talking about, I don't know, political constructs and all that stuff. And it's kind of like, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I've worked so hard to make it so much easier for people to achieve and uh, it's all kind of ignored. And I think one of those components is residual income streams. Because it's like, for a lot of people, they have to get a mortgage. There's no way they could do it. Now, of course, I want to, I want to find a path for them to do it without a mortgage. But then it's like, you know, they need, they need some monthly dollars coming in in order for them to get by. Yeah. And I just kind of feel like, man, I, I don't know how much spoon feeding I can do. And I don't, I, I don't. All right, so. I think it's, they're just, I think they're just trying to justify not putting in any effort. I think, I think they've already decided to, that there's a chance that, there is a chance, you know, 
any of these residual streams, you'll get nothing. And there's a really good chance you'll get nothing. And uh, and it's a lot of effort before you. There's a lot of upfront effort to find the thing that will actually pay off. You know, it's the try a hundred things that two will pay off, and you don't know which two ahead of time. But that's a lot of effort that people just don't want to do. And instead of just saying I don't want to do that, they come up with this justification and go into politics and all this stuff. There's there's I'm not the uh, you know there's I have friends who are musicians who are just amazing musicians, but all they do is just, that's all they do. Like, as they don't go put their effort in to record themselves or push on record companies to put it out or put the money up front to put it out themselves or any of that. It's just, they're, I don't know. Maybe that's the piece that I'm missing is that when somebody's, being a negative Nelly, it'll never work, and whatever. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is for industrious people, not for dumb yeah. fucks. You're a dumb fuck, so you have to wallow in shit. That's that's how the system works. And it's like, well, the system should give me candy even if I am a dumb fuck. And it's kind of like, you just keep wishing for that. Let's see how that works out for you. Um, yeah. I, I kind of feel like maybe that's the key is to just say, for industrious, lovely, generous people. I mean, I kind of feel like, for me, I was giving tons of stuff away for free. And then, I don't know, I, I connected tiny little monetizations to those things while they remained free. And then, it's bizarre how, I don't know, I'll bet I have a few hundred things out there, and they add up now to, like, thousands of dollars a month. And, and, but it didn't like happen overnight, but it was easy. It was, it was easy because I was already giving it away for free anyway. Yeah. All right. So thank you for your feedback. That actually provided me an important piece in that it's like for, for industrious people, it's as easy as breathing. And, and granted, there's your musician friends who, share and contribute and do stuff with others and they ask for zero in return and it's and it's plausible that someday I mean one of the things that could happen is is that you could record something with one of these people that you know and then you could say tell you what you I'm going to give you a copy of this and you have an unlimited distribution license you can go out and make money with it however you want. And I'm cool with that. And so they might take it and go out and make money, or not. Oh, they never do. It's, uh, yeah, I've done that before. I've uh, recorded with great people, and then I, you know, I paid for the recording and, and, uh, and the pressing of the record, and, they're, and they were just totally fine. I gave them, like, five... Ten records each. Here you go. You can give away to your family or whatever. Keep it forever. And I go and I sell them at shows and online. And yeah, yeah and they're they're totally happy with that. They they were gonna play music anyway, free. So okay. They don't they don't they don't want to put in that the 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 second part. And yeah. Okay. 
Now, uh, all right, so we're going to set aside residual income streams. Thank you, sir. I feel I feel much better. I, I was kind of starting to feel dirty, like, you know, and I have no, I can't imagine how, why I would feel dirty. I feel like what a freeing thing to do what you love doing and then through the magic of stuff, monies show up. What a what an amazing thing. Another thing that's frustrating me is residual income streams. I don't want to turn this into a podcast about residual income streams. Is it seems like the only thing that a lot of people will even count as is like stock stuff, which you know I don't do, um, or um, uh, uh, rentals. Like they buy a house and they rent it out. And I, I'm kind of thinking like that was just. I mean. Stock stuff seems like an investment. Like, it seems, stock stuff seems like stock stuff. It doesn't seem like a residual income stream. It seems like a totally um, different beast to me. Well, if you... Hey, Mark's here. Hey, Sorry. Mark, we're recording. So, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah. The stock stuff um, is... You know, you put it put it in there, and then through the power of uh, exponential growth, uh, you get um, you get a whole lot more than you put in. And uh, there are formulas out there saying that if you know, if uh, over the thirty year average of your retirement, you can take out if you have X amount, you can take out Y amount according to this formula, like a Y amount per month, um, basically for the rest of your life. So uh, if you start early and let it grow, um, and if it all pans out, if it all pans out, but panned out the way before, I mean, it, it is a, a form of professional gambling. It takes a lot of discipline, um, but over uh, over the long term, it uh, you know I've been through 2008 and then the you know 2020. Uh, as an investor, and just I, both of those events, I ended up richer on the other side because I just didn't sell, right? As it was falling, so uh, yeah, you gotta have um, you gotta have a plan. Um, do your research. I don't do specific um, stocks. I do the whole market and a mix of, you know the whole United States market and the world market and, and bonds and stuff. So um, pretty, oh. it's pretty passive the way I do it. Um, and then I also uh, have a rental property um, that's also pretty passive because I, um, it's my friends that live there. Okay. And they, and they, um, they are, they like me and I like them, and uh, it's not adversarial. And if something uh, if if something fixes, they break. Or no, if something breaks, they fix it. Um, and uh, they just charge me for the materials. And in exchange, I keep their rent pretty well below market rates. They're happy, and I'm happy. I make a little bit of money, and uh, they get a, a pretty cheap place to live. Would you count those two things as residual income streams? Yes. Okay. All right. So I'll I'll back off from that one. I um I I should mention that um, 
years ago, when Bitcoin was worth $600, like in the span of two months, two different people gave me money for stuff in Bitcoin. And I was just yeah. like, oh, I'm glad to learn about Bitcoin. And so I got $500 for the Bitcoin when it was worth 600 And now it's worth something like 55000 or something like that. So yeah, that's, it's that's gone, the way up, to do it. gone up by a factor of 100. I had no idea. I was just, but the funny thing is, is that one of those two guys who got, in fact, the guy that got me started, that's his thing. It was like watching Bitcoin and watching real estate so closely that he would flip back and forth. And then he had this thing where he said, Bitcoin's not going to do good for the next two years, but real estate is. So I'm moving money into real estate now. And then, um, and then the real estate would do really well. And then he's like, now it's going to reverse. The, the real estate's not going to do good, but Bitcoin is. And so then he put a bunch of money into Bitcoin. And sure enough, it would take off. So he, all this time, he's, he keeps, he kept telling me like every, every, uh, a few months, he would say, here's what's going to happen. And sure enough, that's what happened. So I got a note from him a few days ago and he said, it's like Bitcoin is currently at um, something like fifty-five thousand. He says it's going to go to two fifty before the end of the year. So there you go. So, maybe it will. Uh, maybe it won't. That doesn't sound um, passive the way he's doing it. Yeah, that's definitely not <laughs> true. I I true. did my research, um, you know, pretty hard as far as investing. Um, I found. A uh, a system, a program that I could stick to um, that works for me. It, you know, I did and um, and started, and I've stuck with that, and it has worked for me. Um, and it's it's very passive. Um, so so there is a, an investment strategy. Sorry, I'm got in here late. Um, versus the the standard index. Um, investment where you just invest in the entire stock market, right? And over time, you'll get a certain type of, you know, percentage of return. Uh, but you do have periods where you could go two or three or four years where your investment has dropped, right? It, over time, yes, it will come back and be higher than it was before and you'll get that percentage return. Um, but you can invest in a different type of Portfolio. There's one in particular called the Golden Butterfly, and what that is is you are still investing in broad um, markets or funds, but the assets are are distributed a little differently. So instead of the entire stock market, there's one that's called the Golden, golden Butterfly, and that's it's a 20% of your money is in the total stock market. 20% is in a small cap value, 20% is in long-term bonds, 20% is in short-term bonds, and 20% is in gold. And that balance means that when certain funds are performing poorly, others tend to perform well. That as stocks go down, people will put their money into bonds or into gold. And then when stocks go up, they'll switch that money back and forth. And so you, the performance sort of uh, balances each other out. And so while that that type of uh, – and there's a, a website called PortfolioCharts.com that has a whole bunch of info hey, about these different it. things. It's on the screen. 
Oh, okay. I, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at that uh, on my web browser. So, yeah. So what you'll you'll see is that once per year, essentially. I guess, or however often you want to mess with it, you can go in and rebalance those. So certain things will go up, certain things will go down. So you will redistribute that money, say, once a year, so that you have those percentages are the same. And there's a chart somewhere on that site where it shows right there, that grid. So as you see the at the top, it'll show... Red red blocks are years where that portfolio lost was it the two or three percent or more, and then the 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 dark I call it uh, aquamarine there is when it went up at least nine percent, and so what that shows is for how many years you hold your money in that portfolio starting at a certain year, what is your total return? And you'll notice that the worst case scenario, it takes three years before you have broken, where you haven't lost money on it. And so this is a far more stable um, type of investment where when I've had like a total market investment, and I had money in, um, I guess, really the first 401k that I had was back in, like, 97, 98. And I left that company and went to another one. And in 2001, well, you know, the, the market had dropped significantly, right, around 2000, I guess. And so the money that was in that fund, it took until, like, I don't know, 2004 or five before it finally got above where it was at in 1999. And then, of course, it went back down in 2007. Now it's it's worth significantly more than it used to be. I think it, I started at like almost 3,000. It's like 15,000 now. I've just left it in there. But there's those definite dips. So if you're relying on that um, year to year for income, there's going to be years when that total fund is lower. So, but that, this one is, uh, sort of a, a lot more stable and can be a lot more passive and still be considered income. Gentlemen, I'm going to ask that we, uh, <clears throat> tap the brakes on, on this. I mean, the, I thought that before we would jump into our primary podcast topic, I would just do a quick shout out about residual income streams and, and how, um, I kind of feel like the thing I want to share or the thing that I feel is important is um, it's, it's, it's coming off weird and I'm, I'm feeling weird about it and I wanted to express my, my weirditude. Um, and, uh, and, and I still believe that when I, I mean, I want to have a word perhaps for the kinds of residual income streams I want to talk about that is not, investments and uh, is also not rental property um, but instead things more like um, web pages with affiliate income or music that you put out and then uh, there's this income that comes in I mean I I feel like because like for example Kyle you were saying that you felt that your investments and your rental income, were indeed passive income streams or residual income streams. Yes. I feel like I need a new word 
for what I want to talk about because it does seem like every time I try to talk about it, it it's it gets flooded with this other these other flavors, I guess, which to me Sounds are not like, the same thing. What about royalties? I think royalties would be a residual income stream. But that's like, I mean I think that's the category of residual income streams that you're more into. Yeah, royalties I think totally fit. You did a thing and you may have gotten paid or you may have not gotten paid, but you get royalties down the road. And then that would be an income stream if the royalties actually get paid out. I mean, um, as a self-pub author, I love the idea of having a publisher who's going to promote the fuck out of my book and uh, sell it and then give me a royalty. The thing is, is that I'm I'm just way too... I, I don't... Like, if, if I got nothing back on my book ever... And the and the the publisher said, "Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go get we're gonna go get rich, but we will pay you nothing." I I would be more comfortable with that than when the publisher says, "We're gonna pay you a royalty based on the number of sales. And we're gonna give you this much money per book sold." And then they either a lie about the number of copies sold to me so they pay me less money or uh, B, I'm not sure if this is even worse somehow I just am certain that they're lying even if they are telling the truth and so uh, that's my own personal wackiness, my own personal sickness and I just gotta not get involved in that but yes I think a royalty does count for this thing I want to talk about, for the space that I would want to be. But it's like, uh, I, I, I guess based on this conversation, I'm thinking, I need a new word. I need a new word so I can talk about this this thing. And now is not the time to try and think of a new word. <laughs> okay, we're talking about property. Actually, there's one more thing I wanted to squeeze in. I thought I'd squeeze okay. these two things in like in about a minute a pop. And the other thing is, is that here we are. We're just we're just days away from from starting this Kickstarter about the skip book. And um, and I'm kind of I feel like the video that we've got the little Kickstarter video is really good. Like yeah, because I kind of feel like this is a very different thing and the opportunity for cognitive dissonance is is astounding because it's just it's too different too weird and once again though i am concerned that it sounds like a pyramid scheme a snake oil thing or something like that and it's like so as we're going into this kickstarter i'm not hearing a lot of that but i i hear i've heard it a couple of times a couple of quick mentions and, uh, and it's kind of like, I don't, in the end, I've decided to just go whole hog. And it's like, if it's going to sound that way, it's going to sound that way. There's nothing else I can do. I think it is definitely not that way. But 
Uh, I kind of wanted a chicken, so before we started recording, Kyle, you told me that you have 10 BBs right now. Yeah. But you're not looking to inherit property, so why are you messing with this? Um, it's. Have you seen that cartoon uh, where they're talk like it's the scientists talking about uh, global warming, and someone says like, "Hey, what if we uh, solve all these problems and global warming, and we made the world a better place uh, for nothing? And it, for nothing, you know, like a global global warming's a, a hoax. And we did all this, we made the world a better place for nothing." It's, I'm just. <laughs> I'm, we're in a better place. Yeah, I'm doing it because it, it makes me a, a, a more self-reliant, resilient, uh, and in my opinion, a better person. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I could I could do all these things on my own, but it's uh, this is really great um, direction. Uh, you know, I don't know. It, it, you get what I'm saying? Oh, I I do. I, it's like I, it's, I was a I was a Boy Scout, and these are these are merit badges, you know. I, like for adults. For adults. I think I, I would look at it as their their skills worth learning and knowing how to do, regardless of whether you're going to try to inherit property from somebody who, you know. But yeah, I've just started to to look at them, and it's like, oh man, I I can get hooked on wanting to do these. Uh, just that accomplishment, uh, the feeling of accomplishment uh, for doing them. Uh, yeah, you so, get yeah. a little uh, a little uh, warm fuzzy when uh, when your BD get gets approved. It's I I did something right for once. But here's someone here's someone telling me I didn't screw up. Or telling me I screwed up, and then I go try again, and then it's even better when I do it right. There's I think a sense of accomplishment there, yeah. I, I I do think that for every person that might be you know pursuing Skip for the sake of inheriting property, I think that there's 20 people that are doing it for either other reasons or just simply just for their own personal yucks. You know, like I'm gonna. I I'm glad to have done the thing, and now I'm I'm I've kind of you know I'm kind of in this I'm in the club now, or something. I'm I have uh, I have been validated that I am awesome based on my own standards, and uh, I don't know it's it's fun. And uh, also, Mark- when you're on uh, permies and you're talking about a subject, and you go down to the bottom of someone's comment, and it says that they. You know, they've got this many BBs or this badge or whatever. It's like, okay, these people at least have a little verified expertise, and I can take them for their word. I can give them, you know, a little bit bigger of the benefit of the doubt for their comment. Mark, have you done any BBs? Yes, I I have a little solar system that uh, I had set up, and so... Officially, the only one that I've done is the uh, monthly maintenance on the batteries, um, testing them on all that. So since I'd already built my solar system, I had submitted that, but the the requirements were show all the the parts before it's been assembled, and that it should be a DC only system. Mine has an inverter, um, and right now I'm using it off all of it off the inverter. So that one didn't meet the the requirements, but uh, I am tempted to take it apart <laughs> and get the, uh, the the DC um, panel and, and and hook it up that way. So. 
I might uh, do that because then those two combined, I believe, would be enough to get the uh, the initial badge for electrical. Cool. Uh, I so I think a big part of of where my struggle is because I I I need to I feel a powerful urge to at least get the concept conveyed into the brains of others and I'm and I kind of feel like there's a lot of opportunity for the for the concept to not get conveyed and I and I feel like the Kickstarter video um does a great job of conveying it and uh just this morning, we got a, a new uh, some updates to the animation. It's about it's about three quarters done now, and so the rest of the animation is still like these little black and white stills. But um, uh, the, the the colorization and the animation is really kind of bringing it to life. It's it's been kind of fun. Um, so we're we're almost there. The the Kickstarter is almost ready to launch. <clears throat> um, I, uh, I I feel like the, the when we ask for feedback on the video, the feedback is getting to be a lot of like uh, people saying you should make it so that it's for these people too or whatever. Basically, the important thing is is that people understand what it is. Like their questions reflect that they understand what it is. And and that to me is what's really huge, is it's is it's kind of like now the suggestions that they're making are like, are are basically spelling it out very clearly. I understand what this is, and I want more. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, good mission accomplished. And uh, now if the video has other annoying attributes, that's totally okay. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our primary topic which which is searching for land and Kyle I think you're in the driver's seat because it was your idea to do this podcast and um, I can't remember where we left off last time where where are we what are we talking about next okay I think the last thing we talked about was having um, neighbors that don't spray and then kind of on that same subject um, we're talking about uh, I think we talked about privacy. I think we talked about um, the importance of a, yes, a nice, tall berm, um, being at the end of a road, um, avoiding HOAs, and um, being scrupulous of your CCNRs. Uh, I don't think so. I think that's where we left off. I think we need we. The next thing on my list is slope. We could probably combine that with solar aspect. Well, it's kind of funny. We're we're like uh, um, reviewing the book Desert or Paradise, and um, basically in the book he makes a case of like the only way that you can uh, do all this stuff with water that he advocates is if you've got slope. If you don't have slope, you're kind of stuck with whatever you're stuck with. But if you want to um, basically make water retention systems, you have to have slope. So that's one thing. For me, I keep thinking that it's like, okay, I want to live someplace where I can build soil, and I can't, uh, I, and, I, and I need to do that in a cold climate. I'm going to build soil in a cold climate, but at the same time, 
part of what I want to do is to be able to um, extend my growing season. And a major component for extending my growing season is going to be to be able to get the cold air mass to go away. So to basically kind of create something that is not a frost pocket. And I need slope for that because if I'm someplace flat, I can't get the cold air to go away. It kind of comes here and hangs out, and I'm stuck with it. Right. Did you talk about um, why you need a cold climate to build soil? I don't think you've gone into that before. Um, Well, in a tropical climate, you'll have a jungle, but the right. dirt itself is, is pretty much just dirt. It's, it's like almost like cement, right? I mean, um, yeah. the, the microbial activity that's inside the soil is so active that if an animal comes along and poops on the trail, right. that poop is gone in a couple of hours. And so the result is, is that the soil has very low organic matter. This is why terra preta or, you know, biochar works so incredibly well in a tropical or subtropical climate and in the last 500 years. Whereas if you do hugelkultur, um, I would imagine if you did a seven-foot-tall hugelkultur bed in a tropical area, it would probably be 100% dirt in a year and a half, maybe two years. Oh, okay. Wow. Whereas in your area, the Seattle area, Mm-hmm. That same hugelkultur bed probably would last 10 or 12 years, and in my area, it's going to last 30 years. So it's going to be slower. So the bacteria, the organisms in the soil that make soil, um, uh, they're going to go dormant in the wintertime here. Yeah. And, yeah, and so they're much slower acting and things of that nature. Um Further, I think in your area, um, which is going to be a little bit moister, as well as warmer than here, but still rather cool. So you're looking at like right. low temperatures in the wintertime of about 10 degrees Fahrenheit, whereas here I'm kind of thinking it's more like 10 below, although I would say most winters, I, a third of the winters we don't get below zero at all. And then um, a third, we, we do get below zero, but, like, don't even get to negative 10. And then the other third, we, we get past negative 10. So, um, but anyway, it's you're moister and warmer than here. Um, and where you are, there's a lot of lichen. There's a lot of moss. There's a lot of fungus and insects, mm-hmm. at least a lot compared to here. Right. So have I answered your question? Yes. Thank you. All right. Next. Next. Okay. Um, oh, and solar aspect. Uh, so that slope... Um, Oh, actually, let's talk about, is there a about maximum and minimum slope? Like, or not, you know, there's obviously some slope is better than zero slope. Or, but um, is there, how much is too much 
was slow. Well, <clears throat> ah, I mean, I'm going to start with saying if it's perfectly vertical, it's, it's yeah. like if it's like a big rock. Like if you've got a 1,500-foot cliff face, then you're not going to plant in it. But on the other hand, I I know of places where they've got uh, a, like a 1,000-foot tall cliff face, and it's facing south. And um, their microclimate there is like two zones warmer than other places in Montana. Because it's like it, it is a single giant rock. And because it's a single giant rock as opposed to, say, gravel, then um, as the sun hits it, it absorbs it remarkably well and it absorbs it deeply. And then it sheds that heat back out again deeply. Um, so it lasts a long time long time so uh, uh, naturally our first thought is is like well you can't work that and it's kind of like oh but I've got other plans for that um, yeah, Seth would say otherwise he, he plants uh, strawberries in, in the rock faces stuff like that sure yeah there are things you can plant there of course how well do those strawberries do if you're uh, with a lack of moisture. Right. Yeah. Because if you, on a face like that, there's probably not much soil up there. But let's, let's go a, a little bit. I mean, let's talk about slope in terms of degrees, where, where 90 degrees is vertical and zero is horizontal. And I know that there's some other scales where degrees mean something different, but for this case yeah. of this conversation, let's let's go with with that. So if we have a forty five degree slope, then we're talking about something that is precisely halfway between horizontal and vertical. And so um, I think I think that's a pretty steep slope. A forty-five yeah. degree slope, and uh, um, it has it has some serious challenges with it, and and I would say that, um, but I you know, SEP would would be able to work with it. A forty-five degree slope for a lot of soil types is steeper than the angle of repose, right. which mm-hmm. means that the angle of repose. Let's just do a quick recap. It's like if I were to take sand and make a pile of sand and I would just pour the sand at the top and kind of make a cone of sand on the ground, then um, the angle of repose for that sand is the angle at which the sand naturally ends up with. Further, even more than that, let's leave that pile of sand for a couple of years. What's the angle of repose now? And so what what is the angle that it ends up at in time? So if I've got a sandy soil, but my and, – and by the way, for a lot of sand, the angle of repose is going to be something fairly gentle. It's going to be kind of a three to one. Like let's 
which is going to be a little bit close to like a 30-degree angle. If we're going to say zero is horizontal and 90 is vertical, I would say most sand piles are going to be at about 30 degrees. Fair? Seems right. Mm -hmm. So if you've got land that has a slope of 45 degrees, that's very steep. That's steeper than the angle of repose for sand. Therefore, if you're thinking like, I'm going to make terraces, then the idea of the terraces is you're going to make a flat spot, and then you're going to have a spot between terraces that's even steeper than the original slope. And it's kind of like if, if you're starting with something that's steeper than the angle of repose for whatever your soil is, because certain soils are going to are going to be okay with a steeper angle of repose, either you've got to add some structural engineering to that to kind of, you know, guide it into basically being some type of um, a retaining wall or, you know, to be able to hold a slope that is steeper than the angle of repose of the materials. Or else your effort to make a terrace will be folly. You'll be just scraping your what soil you have and basically sending it down the hillside. Okay, that's a, for a 45-degree angle slope. That's some pretty steep stuff. Now, um... Uh, we could talk about something that's like 10 degrees or 15 degrees. That's fairly comfortable. I mean, I would say that if you're going to try and make a road that will go straight up, I'm not sure if you can, like if you're, and you have snow, <laughs> you have winter time, um, I'm not sure you can have much success with anything steeper than about 10 degrees. Mm-hmm. So uh, if I'm thinking of, like, I'm going to try and drive up a, a, an icy road that's 10 degrees, and I've got all-wheel drive and snow tires, at 10 degrees, still dodgy. I'm not sure I can make it. Um, I, I have personal experience with that, actually. Um, one of the first houses that I owned was on a street that you did have to go up about a 10-degree slope. And there was a couple times when we got six or eight inches of snow, and you couldn't drive up that road. And the salt trucks couldn't get up that road to salt it either. So I do recall going out with my snow shovel and shoveling a, a single track for the tires to sit on at about 500 feet of road so wow. I could actually drive my car up to the top and get to the level road that I uh, my house was on and uh, get up there. So, yeah, there's, that wasn't much fun. Now, I guess the thing I'm thinking is, is like I'm trying to describe for the listener about how, how steep is 10 degrees, and I'm using this as kind of a metric. So um, I'm I'm willing to, to submit that ten, 10 degrees is about that. That's about how steep of a slope 10 degrees is. And now, um, uh, right, there might be a, a visual for what is 10 degrees. I guess what I'm fishing for is to say, like, I'm guessing 
at what I think is about 10 degrees. Um, you're saying that that road was about 10 degrees. Well, it might have actually been steeper. I mean, looking at looking at that right there, I would actually say that that road was more like 20 degrees slope. Just from what I physically recall. Okay. Of course, right. it's been a while now. So, But there was more than one time that I had to park, and it was not that great of a neighborhood at the bottom of that hill. <laughs> and so I had to park my car down there, sort of in the middle of nothing, um, and hope it wouldn't get broken into. So, uh, yeah. Because if you got freezing rain was the worst one, right? You'd have drizzling rain during the day, and the night it would freeze. And then you couldn't get down the hill without crashing at the end of that street. And uh, you couldn't get up it if it was freezing early enough in the day. So, um, I guess, so that's a 10-degree slope is a fairly gentle slope. And, of course, there's ways to mitigate it so that, I mean, if you did some switchbacks or something like that, you could make it so it's easier to traverse for a vehicle. Um, uh, I know that I, when I lived on Mount Spokane, um, when I bought the property, I was warned that four-wheel drive will not be able to get out of the property in the winter because it was it was a valley property, and the way to get out was to go up the hillside, and it was just a straight shot, and um, it was it was probably more than ten degrees slope. All wheel drive you could have year round access, but four wheel drive would not make it, is what I was told. Now of course you know you add in chains or something like that, and it improves your uh, odds significantly. So the the question that Kyle's putting forth is, is is slope. Like how much is too much? Well, diversity is good. I think I think having having some diversity is is awesome. Having some bits that are gentler and some bits that are steeper is 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 great. That's even better. Um, and of course. I, I kind of feel like when you start getting into like 30 degrees or so, that's that's getting to some pretty steep country. Like if you're if you try to walk up that, that if you just go a few hundred feet, you're going to be pretty tired. Yeah, yeah. And so um, uh, anyway, all right. So is this. I'm not sure if I'm even answering your question correctly. I would. If it was steeper than 30 degrees, I think I would let it go. Yeah. Unless, unless it's like, oh, yeah, there's some of the property has got this steeper stuff. And there's some of this property that's got the gentler stuff. Then, then I think I'd be okay with it. I think I recall Bill Molliston saying somewhere that anywhere um, greater than 20 degrees should be left in permanent forests with um, yeah. Uh, so solar aspect would probably be next on the list, just because that's. Uh, let's let's do a quick exploration. What do you suppose is the average slope overall of the Kramerhof? Because I like where you're going with Bill Mollison says. What was it? Anything over twenty? I think so. Anything over 20 degrees, you just left this permanent forest. So, 
When we look at pictures from far away of Sepp Holzer's Kramerhof, then uh, what kind of slope does it look like that whole property is on? Yeah, the pictures that I've seen, it looks like that the edges, that's where you get into the really steep slope, the steep drops. But it's hard to tell from maybe this will be a little easier what the majority of it is. Because, Kyle, you also had in your notes um, after slope, you had deep soil before solar aspect. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking it's like when you get into that 30 or 45 degree slope, then you'd also have to wonder just how much soil is left on that slope, you know, that hasn't been washed away. Now, from that view, that's looking like 15 to 20 degrees on average. Yeah. Okay. From this picture, it looks like the lower part is 25 to 30, and the higher part is pushing 45. From this angle, which is we want to look at it from the angle. We want to look at it from the side, right? Yeah. If you look at it straight on, it looks like, oh, it looks flat. (laughs) (laughs) From straight above. So, so the lower part is better than I thought. I mean, still, you got to have those switchbacks or you're not getting up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I guess, I guess the thing is, is that, and, and another thing I want to work in is the whole concept of a, a, a permaculture approach that's a symbiotic relationship with the woodland. So I think of Ben Law, but I think. Ben Law's land is probably pretty flat. It's got a little bit of slope to it, but it's a pretty gentle slope. But this is this is um, some this is some fairly steep country that Sepp has here, and um, I I kind of I kind of feel like uh, it it does have its challenges when you have this much slope. But I, I like the idea that um, we're going to have something gentler. Like this is, this is a, a, a kind of slope. So the parameter hop is the kind of slope that's challenging. And, I, and it's like, so you can do it, but it's going to be harder. It's going to be more work. I would have to say that when looking for land, and you're going, I mean, I, I think that if you can find something that's more in the 10-degree slope. Let, no, okay, let me, let me run this by you guys. Um, I'm saying, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking 25 to 30 for the lower half and pushing 45 for the upper half. Does that sound about right? What I'm seeing is, say, to the left of that marker where it looks like there's some woods, like, in the middle there, that that seems like a very steep part where I would agree that that section in the middle has, like, a 45 degree. And then when you get up towards the top, like, if you're looking at the switchbacks, um, one, two, three, four. So starting at the bottom there, and you count the, the, the going back and forth on the fourth one, it seems that right around there it starts to level out a little bit, but not. it's still steep, but not quite so steep. Um, 
So maybe the top quarter of the property is more like in that 10 to 15 degree, but that middle section for sure looks like it's at, you know, at that 40 degree or 45 degree slope. So I would say that, um, that, that land probably also has a lower price tag when it starts getting that steep. Right. Yeah. And, and no so, agricultural use for standard monoculture. Right. Right. All right, Kyle, this is your question. Are we coming anywhere close to answering your question? I believe so, yeah. Okay. I don't think it's like a, a simple, oh, 20%. There you go. That's it. Um, now, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complex issue. I kind of feel like Mollison, if Mollison's going to be taking on something, and Mollison has been exposed to a whole bunch of slopes that are like 5 degrees to 25 degrees, and and he gets all this stuff to work with, I could see how he would say, like, everything over 20 degrees, just leave it permanent forest. Not because it can't be done, but because it's like, yeah, it's just more work. It's harder, you know? It's just yeah. through it. Let it go. And uh, on the other hand, if you're going to be SEP and it's like everything you're looking at is uh, 25 degrees to 50 degrees, then SEP might say, oh, yeah, anything over 45, forest. <laughs> you know, I'm not yeah. going to mess with it. So it's, it's kind of like it's, it's, it, it's, uh, it's relative and subjective. What do you yeah. got? Uh, it's like, okay, we get this stuff with the real gentle slopes and all the southern exposure, $15,000 an acre. Or you can get this stuff that has more of like a west-facing slope and um, and it's much steeper, $2,000 an acre. I don't know. You might be looking at that second one going like, I think I like this one better. You know? This podcast is continued in part two. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.